There are two readings this morning, uh, first from Matthew 5 and then straight into Ezekiel 11. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove, them from, their, I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Andrew, very much indeed. So um, this morning, um, we're continuing our series looking at the Beatitudes. And we're going to be thinking about two of the Beatitudes this morning. So first of all, the saying of Jesus that blessed are the pure in heart. So we're going to think about that for a little while. And then we will have an opportunity just to spend a few minutes in reflection on what it means for us to have a pure heart. And we're going to respond to that with a song And then we'll move on to think about the second part of our verse this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So first of all, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a lovely phrase. It sort of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's it's a phrase to savour one perhaps to reflect on and to meditate about. In a sense, it doesn't feel like a sort of phrase that we want to analyze to death, and I certainly hope that I'm not going to do that this morning. It's a verse for us to ponder in our hearts, allowing it to seep into our very beings. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But even if we're going to simply meditate on this verse and think about it, we need to have a little look beneath the surface to see what it actually means. Because this word pure is one that actually might conjure up all sorts of different images. Maybe the word pure brings to your mind (coughs) the image of a a small child, a baby, an innocent uh, newborn baby. Or maybe it makes you think of something clean and soft, Maybe a cotton shirt or a blouse or maybe a freshly made bed with the clean, soft sheets against your skin. Sometimes we use the word pure in a way that doesn't actually denote goodness at all. Tabloid editors love to describe mass murderers, don't they, as pure evil. They're not using the word pure in any sort of sense that the Bible would recognize, but it's used to mean 100%, the people who are described as pure evil haven't got a shred of goodness in them. I looked in a thesaurus to see what it gave me as words that are associated with the idea of purity. And these are some of the words that it came up with. Unmixed, genuine, clean, 
innocent, simpleness, oneness, natural, true, refined, immaculate, spotless, healthy, wholesome, untarnished, incorrupt, undefiled, guileless, blameless, sinless, unadulterated, virtuous. Now, of course, there's a whole range of different words there representing different aspects of purity. But one theme that took my eye was the idea of something that's unadulterated or unalloyed, something which is not contaminated or spoiled by coming into contact with anything else, something that's not mixed with anything else. And I think that captures something of the essence of what Jesus had in mind in praising those who are pure of heart. The pure in heart, says one commentator, are the single-minded who are free from the tyranny of a divided self. Now, of course, when Jesus talks about our heart, he's not talking about our physical heart, although those are an amazing thing. I don't know if you saw on the news last night, there was, a th there was a piece about doctors who've managed to create 3D images of the heart of a, an unborn child whilst still in the fetus in order to enable them to treat heart abnormalities much better. And it just reminded me of what an amazing, what a, a just an incredible creation the, hu the physical human heart is. But in some ways, the heart that Jesus talks about is even more amazing because it means that very heart of our soul, that part of our being that represents who we are at the very deepest level. It's that part of us that's capable of an intimate relationship with God. And if our heart is not contaminated or polluted by anything other than a love for God, then we will be genuinely pure in heart. The passage from Ezekiel that Andrew read for us, and there's loads of other passages in the Bible that I could have picked to, to put alongside our verses from Matthew because um, it's, a, it's a common theme throughout the Bible. But this, this passage from Ezekiel talks about an undivided heart and it describes some of the blessings that go with it. The people, Ezekiel says, will follow God's decrees and keep his laws. They will be his people and he will be their God. And it seems to me that this passage from Ezekiel helps us to understand what it means to be pure in heart in two important ways. First of all, having a pure heart is something that only God, by his spirit, can give us. I will give them, God says, an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. Having a pure heart isn't something that we can summon up by ourselves. We need God to do the heavy lifting, if you like. What we need to do is to be willing to change. Secondly, 
as we've actually noted in one or two of the other Beatitudes that we've looked at, these statements of Jesus are relevant to individual believers, but they're also addressed to a whole community. <clears throat> Ezekiel talks about communal behavior. He talks about a collective repentance from vile images and detestable idols. And then he comes to the conclusion, they will be my people and I will be their God. That speaks of a collective purity of heart. <clears throat> so when we think of being pure in heart, then yes, each of us as individuals should aspire to that purity. But we also need to reflect too on what it would look like for our church community to have a pure heart. If collectively we turn our backs on slander and gossip and immorality and everything that dishonors God, that would make us a fantastic beacon for God. Another thing that we can observe about things that are pure is that they don't often start pure. Precious metals don't always come out of the ground in pure form. They're often mixed with other rocks and minerals and they only become pure following some sort of refining process. And often that involves quite an intense or violent act such as being exposed to fire or extreme heat which burns away the impurities. And maybe that's what we need to do too if we want to be truly pure in heart. There'll be things in our lives, particular sins, particular attitudes that are displeasing to God and which need to be burnt up and removed before we can stand before God with a pure heart. In a moment, we're going to sing a song which enables us to respond to this and, it, and to make this real in our hearts. It's a well-known song which includes the phrase, refine as fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. And as we sing, we need to ask ourselves an obvious but important question, is, is that my heart's desire? Do I want to be holy? Do I want to be pure in heart? Or do I secretly want to hold on to some of those old ways, things that I enjoy, things that perhaps we think of as our occasional guilty pleasure? Do you really want to be among those who stand before God pure in heart, even if that means that your life has to go through the refiner's fire. And what's the prize? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Actually, it's quite natural after all that we've said that those who are pure in heart will see God because all of the impurities, all of the things that contaminate our lives and separate us from God will have been burned away. If we have an undivided heart, wholly focused on God, then there's nothing to impair our clear vision of him. So before we sing, I want to encourage you just to spend a couple of minutes in the quietness of your own heart, reflecting on this verse. What's the state of your own heart and your own desires? Do you have 
an undivided heart, wholly focused on God? Or are there things which you know displease him, which you cling to? So let's sing. In Ju- Once we've had a little time to reflect, we'll sing. And if you do want to have a pure heart, commit yourself to him through song. But let's have just a couple of minutes to reflect on this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now I have to admit, when I started to think about this part of the sermon, a slightly incongruous image came to mind. I don't know, I can't think of a particular film, but you know in silent movies there used to be fights between people, maybe it was the Keystone Cops, or maybe it was um, Laurel and Hardy, but there'd be two people... Um, thumping each other, and somebody would come along and trying to be the peacemaker, they tried to step between them, and what would inevitably happen would be that the two protagonists would end up thumping the peacemaker, who would end up in the gra- on the ground in a heap, and the two uh, fighters would carry on with their fight. And it's a slightly, um, a slightly trivial um, image, but it sort of illustrates the fact that being a peacemaker is never easy. If you are a peacemaker, you risk the wrath of those between whom you are actually trying to bring peace. By being a peacemaker, you are fighting against pride, deceit, greed, and selfishness. And people don't like being called out for that sort of behavior. And that's why they often turn on the peacemaker. Being a peacemaker requires us to allow ourselves to become vulnerable. It requires a wisdom that goes beyond human wisdom. It requires tenacity, a willingness to keep going and never to give up. We can apply these principles about peacemaking at a number of levels, and that's why this part of the sermon could have lasted the rest of the day if we'd wanted it to, but the, we can apply these ideas about, about um, peacemaking on the world stage or at a national level or within local communities or even within our own homes and families. But who could deny that at the moment our nation is in, the need, of, is in need of peacemakers? We live at a time when opinion on issues like Brexit, but no doubt lots of other issues as well, is very sharply divided. And a sort of civilized discussion where each party respects and listens to the other's point of view has very often been replaced by open hostility and actual threats against people who don't share the same view. And it seems as though no one is any longer allowed to make an effort to understand an opposing point of view. And yet that's actually one of the key things that a peacemaker needs to do, to first understand 
the position of the two opposing parties. So if we, if we want to be a peacemaker, then as well as the wisdom and the tenacity that we've talked about, we also need creativity. We need to think of imaginative ways of understanding the views of different parties and bringing them together. It's actually a great illustration of the need to love God, not only with our heart and soul, but with all our mind. It needs uh, a creative mind. It's difficult. It's not easy work. But isn't there a great opportunity in the middle of a time of national strife for churches to model how we can act as peacemakers in the middle of a hostile environment? Going down the same routes that we've always gone down, doing the same things that we've always done, will simply result in people adopting the same positions that they always have and carrying on the way they always have. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoff coined the phrase cheap grace, which was intended to say that even though our salvation is a free gift of God, nevertheless it had been purchased at great price by Jesus' sacrifice. And therefore we should live our lives in a sacrificial way that reflects the price paid. Similarly, adopting a similar phrase, John Stott wrote of cheap peace. A sort of peace which it might be easy to achieve. A sort of peace which papers over the cracks, but which is superficial and doesn't last. And what he said was that permanent peace, a permanent enduring peace, might well involve sacrifice. And that's why, of course, the supreme peacemaker was Jesus himself. And that's why, that's why I've, I've not tried to use a version of this, this particular verse of the Bible that uses more gender-inclusive language. Yes, actually, a lot of peacemakers may be women. A lot of notable peacemakers over recent years have been women. There have been women who have won the Nobel Peace Prize. And it would be slightly odd to say that those women are sons of God. And yet, it's worth holding on to that phrase, son of God, because it emphasizes the fact that by doing the work of peacemaking, we're doing the same work as Jesus, the supreme peacemaker, the son of God. If we do what he did, then by striving for peace, we are, in a way, following in his footsteps. Peacemaking, by its very nature, is the work of God. God's master plan is to see that mankind and God, and indeed the whole creation, should be at peace. Peace between mankind and our creator. So by doing peacemaking work, we're truly engaged in kingdom work. And that's why those who are peacemakers receive this extraordinary accolade that they will be called sons of God. So we've looked at two Beatitudes this morning. I haven't, we haven't had time to make the connection between the two. 
but I'm sure that as you perhaps reflect on them further, we can all see that there is a connection between the idea of being pure in heart and the idea of wanting to be a peacemaker. Do you want to be pure in heart? Do you want to be a peacemaker? Do you want to see God? Do you want to be called a son or daughter of God? Let's pray together. Let's in particular pray for peace. Let's pray for peace in our nation. Let's pray in particular that people who strive for peace, peacemakers in our communities and in our national life, won't be looked down on. We pray that seeking peace through understanding and mutual respect will not be a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. We pray for our politicians and for their families. We pray for safety for them. We pray for wisdom and energy and endurance to get the job of peacemaking done. Pray for ourselves, Lord, that we won't always assume that someone else is going to be the peacemaker. Pray that you'd show us those situations where we need to be the person who steps in to try and bring peace. And when that is us, Lord, we pray that you would equip us with the wisdom and the strength that we need. May we be peacemakers, Lord, wherever you place us, so that we might be worthy to be called sons and daughters of God.